We have no reasons to make excuses for who we are. We are born right. a hunter. I am a hunter. I am a bone collector. Hey, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Bolin, and I am really stoked today because I am meeting with Michael Waddell. And he is a huge name in the hunting industry and has been shooting Hoyt for how long? I've been shooting Hoyt since. 2000, 99 or 2000. Dang, so a long man. time now. I know forever. You can tell it, man. Look at this Dude, gray coming in now. That ages I know you. It. You weren't a spring chicken when you started either, shooting Hoyt. I wasn't. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I shot, you know, as a kid, I actually worked in a pro shop. And so obviously, if you work in a pro shop, you shoot every bow. You, you know, it's like a, I almost right. went broke. My first bankruptcy, I think, was nearly when I was 18 because I had them bought <laughs> every bow in the pro shop. And, and literally, I had settled into Hoyt as I was working at Realtree. And then luckily in 2002 and three, when we started the Realtree road trips, Hoyt was one of our first partners that signed on. And it was so cool and authentic because I had been shooting a Hoyt. So anyway, it was, Oh, that's great. It's been, it's been a long time. So, yeah. So how long, like, when did you start with Realtree? I mean, let's, I want to give a little backstory because I yeah. mean, I've been watching you for 20 years and I don't know, like, is that when it started or, it, you know, when, when did that relationship start? How did it start? Because it's been an incredible, incredible journey i would say right alan it's been it's been crazy i mean really the best way to describe it it has been the american dream i mean and i don't say that from even a financial standpoint it's just you know i wasn't the kid that went to college um i really was not that great of a student i, I certainly look back i graduated high school in 1991 so that that gives my age there and obviously back then nobody diagnosed anybody with attention deficit syndrome or whatever that <laughs> or disorder, whatever it is, because I look back and I certainly ha had it. But um, literally when I was in high school, my junior and senior year, I started competing in turkey calling contest <laughs> of all things. And, and I got really good and was, and was winning quite a few and, and competing at the Georgia so State that, Championship. So that kept yeah. your attention, turkey calling, that but no, nothing else could. Yes. No, just, <laughs> just chicks, chicks, Turkey's deer and, and bow and arrows and turkey calling. That, was that, like, that cured your ADD. <laughs> yes, exactly. Nice. And then so, so that, that was, that literally was my interest. And so it's funny looking back, um, man, I really was attentive. I, I worked in a little archery pro shop, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast that, you know, for, for side money and I was addicted to it. So really that, that job was actually just to kind of fund my, my habit, you know, and I was really into archery. I was really into hunting. Obviously, in Georgia, we have really liberal seasons. So literally, for at the time, right. you know, you could spend 18 bucks and you had tons of deer you could shoot. You had turkeys, you had rabbits, squirrel. We did, obviously, in Georgia, you know, we didn't, it's not like we had elk and things like that. We right. used to have them years ago, but I think we killed them all. It's crazy. But, um, <laughs> but you could shoot it, like more, like five bucks a yeah. year or something like that, right? Oh, we, we, that... Could shoot two, we could shoot two bucks a year okay. and up to our, our 10 deer. So we could shoot two bucks. And I think you're still the case you, and you could shoot eight, eight does. Right. So, so you're having a blast. Comes, yeah. We're having a blast. Yeah, literally like, um, you know, and so it, it was awesome. And I was in competition turkey calling. And so right in high school, I started getting some pretty solid success. And I had a chance to, to win some Georgia state championships. Then I had a chance to start competing and I went, I won a world championship um, with a friend of mine, Ricky Joe Bishop in the grand nationals. So in wow. that, I'm this young turkey collar kid. And then at that particular time, if you, you know, Realtree and Mossy Oak were like camo kings. And so yeah. with that, 
a lot of the turkey hunters, because obviously turkeys can see well, camo was was the deal. And so the marketing aspect, it was a little, I mean, TV was on, you had TNN and Realtree had Realtree Outdoors on TNN. I think Mossy Oak had Hunt in the Country. And so at that particular time, camo and turkey hunting was synonymous uh, because that was one of the number one sellers of camo was for the turkey hunters. And so Bill Jordan actually put me on the pro staff and hired me to help guide as a young kid. And I remember I had a chance to take outdoor riders hunting and stuff like that. So that was kind of oh, my nice. crack in the door. And yeah. so it was from Turkey calling. And that was, you know, we was talking about dates. That was literally in 1991. And in 93 and four, I started freelancing at a really good clip out of high school. I did go to Heaton and Air School and I never did walk. I was constantly either working Heaton and Air. My dad had a contracting business and I really was just kind of a gypsy laborer slash wait for somebody to call and see if I, if I could call some turkey, turkey hunts. Yeah, yeah. Some turkey nice. Hunts. And so I went full time in 95, 96. I went full time at Realtree. So literally three or four years. Did you start with the TV graduated. show? Is that what you did when you went full time? I, I did. And, and here's what's funny is I had no experience in television production. And so as I had been guiding early on, it was David Blanton, who was the executive producer and Realtree was on TNN. And back then, Alan, you, you might remember, it was crazy. The ratings, we, you know, the TV show would come after a NASCAR race. So, you know, as we talk about ratings and marketing now, yeah. social media, I mean, you know, it's all this accumulative, but literally they might be one particular show where six, seven million people, five million people would watch Dang. one episode. Really. Yeah. It was crazy. So I'm thrust into this uh, guiding and enjoying it. And, and being that I had been working at this pro shop, me and the guy who owned this pro shop, you know, we, had, we was watching all the Primo's videos and literally we had all the, the videos from the Wenzel brothers to, you know, yeah. back then you might remember that's a whole, that could oh, be a whole other podcast. Yeah. I had all Don Lewis, remember the guy that got busted out in Yellowstone, dude, you know, he was working for Browning and he got busted in Yellowstone shooting those elk illegal in the Pontagon there in Utah. Yeah. Y'all are, yeah. Dude. And so I remember watching all those videos and VHS tapes. And so we were making our own little movies for the, the hunting store, Big Buck Trading Post was the name of it. And yep. so anyway, it was kind of crazy. So David saw some of those videos like, dude, when you're guiding, take one of our cameras and video, like try to video a hunt. And I remember he gave me this big beta cam. He said, now be careful with it. It's like $70,000. I'm like, what? <laughs> my God. You know, that's, that's, that's more that's than my unbelievable. Like combined, you know? Well, and back then, $70,000 is like two fifty today. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and yeah. I was, I was freaking out. And so... But quickly, I kind of enjoyed it, become a challenge. And um, at the time, it didn't pay any more money. And so that, 90, that season of 1995 and 6, David basically said, look, okay, thank you for guiding, but you can still continue to help us when we have writers and clients, customers in, but I want you to be with Bill Jordan, and I want you to video all of his turkey hunts this year. So literally that particular year, Bill wanted to try to kill a grand slam with his bow and arrow turkey hunting. Yeah. So David basically put me to work, and I'm telling you from so early you were March. The camera. Yeah, you were running. I the was camera. running the camera. That's Is correct. that right? Okay. And I didn't have any experience, and so it was so cool, man. Blant, I can't say enough about David Blant, and really at Realtree, and really, you know, talking about work and opportunity and American dream. I knew nothing about any of this. I had a lot of passion for the outdoors and hunting, and so it was weird, man. I, I videoed all that year. Didn't know anything about editing. Um, and so I was, you know, all the stuff was on beta tape. So we'd come yeah. back and David, David and the guy showed me how to transfer the original over onto a master to kind of 
backup. I mean, that literally was your backup. You know how we back up things to the cloud now or back yep. it up to a little whatever you call them, plug in, whatever. So I was I learned that, but I knew nothing about editing. And so I remember at that time, that's when all the digital editing, editing, the AVIDs, the computers, the nonlinear editing come about. And David sent me to school in Maine to this international workshop to learn how to edit on an AVID. And so I was no doubt the countryest. I'd never flown an airplane, <laughs> never really been out of the state of Georgia much. And so uh, so that's kind of how I got started. And I kind of got thrown into the video. When department. did you start appearing yeah. on film? I started appearing on film. I think it was more around 99 or it, it was kind of crazy because obviously the job didn't pay much. Um, yeah. It's no secret. David, David and Bill was paying me $18,000 full time salary. Right. I mean, that was yeah. it. That's all. And of course, you go to Christmas party at Realtree, you might win a Samsung TV or something, you know, like, it was, <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, our gift certificate to Cracker Barrel. And, and it was an unbelievable company. Uh, to work for. I, that was the first time I'd had benefits and like retirement yeah. stuff that I, you know, growing up with my dad working construction, you know, if you fell off the roof, well, man, old junior broke his leg. I guess he ain't gonna make it work tomorrow. <laughs> he didn't get paid. Seriously, I mean, that's just yeah. what it was. And so, um, so when I was working at Realtree, I just couldn't believe how cool it was, the culture of working for a corporation or a business like that. So I wasn't making much money. And so early on, man, I was like this young kid you know, in my twenties, I mean, literally, I re I remember getting my first beer on the road. Bill bought it for me when I turned twenty one. I was with Bill Jordan in yeah. South Dakota turkey hunting, and so anyway, with all that said, Alan, um, I, I didn't know much about about the, the TV and, and the video, and and I didn't get a chance to really hunt at all those early years at all. And so I think it was between realistically not getting a lot of money, David and Bill started rewarding me kind of as a bonus. Like, Hey, this kid needs to hunt a little bit, man. He's working his butt off. And so, man, you know what? We got some opportunity to take this. Michael, do you want to go there and kill a deer? And, but by the way, you know, we want you to video it, make, you know, in Realtree had a lot of license and still do. Hoyt is one of the licensees where, you know, Hoyt uses the Realtree patterns on their bows right. therefore can generate money to Realtree on those bows sold. And so Realtree is very strategic and of course on tnn at the time real outdoors had partners like hey you can go hunt but make sure you use this broadhead wear this pattern and hey man make yeah. sure it's a good hunt and so it wasn't like they were trying to promote me as a personality it was just like a gift or a bonus and to me it was worth more than money like oh my god i'm hunting the encinitas ranch or are they gonna let yeah. me go turkey yeah hunting? so the only thing that was kind of strange in there alan that was kind of a little bit different me that I did get some opportunity to do some. I'd always I got an opportunity to turkey hunt a little bit on camera right away and to get turkey tips because I had won the world championship. Yeah, I mean, the you Grand were so the I was pro. Kind of yeah, pro. I was kind yeah. of like this young turkey calling pro. So if you're into turkey hunting, um, you know, at the time, and you know, it's funny. I talked to to Mark Drury. Uh, Mark Drury was a world champion, and so you know, you had these callers like Mark Drury, Dick Kirby, Eddie Salters. You had these Walter yeah. Parrots. So. So, you know, they were essentially, you know, they were the Chuck Adams of turkey hunting. They right. were the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, all these people, the Howard Hills, they were the Fred Bears. And so, you know, I was competing against them. And so I become, I got a chance through Realtree to kind of become one of these turkey authorities because I'd won contests, you know. And so yeah. through that, they would let me hunt a little bit, but I didn't get to hunt big game until, I don't know, four five, six years into it, but it was more as a gift. And as a uh, bonus kind of part and, of my and salary. If, if you're going to be doing it, they're going to put a camera on you because like, exactly why would correct. they pass up the opportunity at, at that kind of content? And so 
one thing I remember early in your career when I first saw you was the personality that came out <laughs> and how much fun you had and, and frankly, how funny you were and the humor and how all that brought in. Did that emerge immediately or in the beginning when you were like, were you kind of subdued trying to behave yourself or how did that, how did that emerge yeah. into what, you know, what you turned into? That, that's a great question. And, answer, and to answer it, yes, it did emerge because I was insecure about it because I really did feel like I've always been, you know, if I can say this, a shit kicker, I've always had yeah. fun. I've always, I've always been this man child, whether I was a child and had a right to be a child or whether I'm grown. And even now my, my wife calls me a man child because I can literally <laughs> get out with my four-year-old right now and, and, and throw the Frisbee until dark. And so I got to, obviously there's a time to, to be mature, but at the heart of me, I just want to laugh. I, I just want to have a good time. And so I'm serious about a lot of stuff. And so I, I struggle with that early on and keep in mind where I come from, and, and I wasn't that refined. I, I didn't <laughs> speak the best. I had a deep Southern accent. I spoke in a lot of you slang. Had one. You had one, huh? Yeah. You had I, Yeah, bad. You, you, I used had to a... <laughs> have, you used to have a deep Southern accent. Okay. That's right. That's right. It, it, it st- you know, it still do. And so, so with that, I, man, I was insecure about it. Like, dude, I didn't know what to say. And, and, and I didn't know how to act at that particular time when I did have success. Well, I would go crazy. I'd be so happy and pumped. And so you get all these, it was the first time I understood really back, you know, now looking back, like, okay, everybody looks at a recovery and a celebration different for me, you know, shooting a deer and, and a good arrow was like, I don't know. It was almost like spiking a football. It, it had no disrespect to the animal. I was just so deeply excited about yeah. the opportunity. It was, I, you know, everybody reacts different. Some people almost break into tears every time and they're humbled and become quiet sure. after walking by themselves. Well, I was always got like, oh my God. I freaking smoked him. He's over there. I know he's got a parking ticket. He's going down by the big pine. And I'm, it, but it had nothing to do with me coming up with this narrative. But early on, man, they would edit all that out. And I would want it edited out. Cause like, God, I look like a big, dumb Georgia Is redneck. That right, man. Dude, so you yeah, were I was just that doing way. it. You couldn't control yourself. Yeah, I know. That's I had no amazing. control. Was, I love that. Completely. You know what? I yeah. can tell some guys are literally faking it on camera. And for you, yes, it was the other way around. Too. You're trying it was to keep a, control yes. and you can't. So if you go back, man, and I would even challenge people to see this show um, or the podcast or listening to the podcast. If you can go back and find those early, early hunts of me, not when I was hosting road trips or even bone collector. I'm talking about when you can tell there was a kid making $18,000 a year. And we've all been there, Alan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, hey, you know what, Alan? Hey, can I get a raise? Like, no, but That's I tell right. you what, Alan, how about an elk hunt in Utah? That'll work. That's good. <laughs> That's good. That's, I mean, that's like a $30,000 no bone. Right. And so. So I'm not getting these opportunities that much. So when I do, and, and it's funny is I was working in production. I would have all this, these reactions. And I remember after it was all said and done, and of course, you're, you're definitely old enough to know this, you know, the cutaways, the, the high end, what they call the TV production cutaways, where you kill an animal. And of course, the camera would pan back and you would yeah. go through your emotions. But, but, but only the perfect, the Bill Jordans, the Chuck Adams could nail that. You know, yeah. us, us just mortal beings could, you know, <laughs> we would freak out and never know what we're going to say and we'd get all the product wrong and couldn't tell them what new bow we were shooting or whatever it would be. And so I'd have to go back and, and it would be like, man, what a great hunt. I think I put a good arrow on him. Oh my He, he won't go far. And deep down, I'm freaking boiling over like a volcano. And as soon as the camera starts rolling, I'm back to 
you know, punching yeah. the cameraman. And, and out I imagine that shit. never felt yeah. right. I imagine that. No, never it felt right. didn't. Yeah. It never felt right. Now, at the time, I didn't care because I was getting a chance to hunt. So I'm like, sure. All right, you know, whatever they want whatever me to Whatever I got to do, I can do that. Yeah. If they want me to wear a pink camo and <laughs> shoot right. a deer in a, in a tutu and a cheerleading <laughs> outfit, I would have done it. Yeah. And so, uh, so, so realistically, I think, I think what really helped me is, is all the years of traveling. So, you know, I was, I was getting a chance to be around people that I never thought I'd meet, you know, like celebrities and bigger than life personalities like Dale Earnhardt Jr. I remember, you know, I mentioned Chuck Adams, man, I was freaking out, man. I was like, dude, Chuck to Adams, guys right? of so, our generation. Yes. I mean, there oh, is no dude. bigger legend. Yeah. And I was hunting with this guy, man. And so I was freaking out. And so, you know, Chuck and, and mm-hmm. obviously all of us in the Hoyt community or in the Hoyt club, you know, we, we know Chuck, if we, if we've been in this industry and we, we work for Hoyt. Well, man, when I met Chuck, he was Chuck Adams. Well, soon as I started spending time with him in camp, he, he didn't change, but then he started, sto- I started hearing stories and I started really seeing his humor because he's somewhat introverted. He's not, mm-hmm. he's not he definitely, I wouldn't describe Chuck as a insane extrovert, but he's no. just a super cool guy, man. And so immediately I remember thinking uh, the Chuck or going hunting and there's a Mark Chestnut back in the day, you know, he still got country music on the radio now, but you know, he was in his heyday. He was the Luke Bryan at that particular time we was hunting with him. And I'm telling you, Alan, I laughed at that dude and he was the coolest cat. <laughs> he sat around and played Hank Williams Jr. and Merle Haggard songs around a campfire two or three o'clock in the morning. We're out there playing a the guitar. And I'm playing a guitar and I'm thinking, oh, my God, if people only knew, you know, what these guys were like or the Larry Wysons or you name it, any of us. Yeah. And so I remember thinking early on, like, man, from myself to the Bill Jordans, to the Chuck Adams, nobody knows how cool these guys are. Now, there was a flip side of that, Alan. There were some of these guys that were pricked. <laughs> I was like, you know what? You, the you, fact yeah. is, they're human beings. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. that. You know, there's some that are really cool and some that aren't. And being famous maybe isn't an indicator of which way that's going to go. They're no, just, it's they're not just people, it, right? Sometimes, sometimes I think, I think some people, whether they're famous or not, are just somewhat jerks. And, and sure. sometimes being famous, it gives them more, you know, yeah. gives them more, um, they're more brave to be the jerk, you know? So yeah. I don't know, but overall I met mostly all the people I loved. And so, yes, I, I had to come into my own, but it wasn't something I, come into for myself it was when i started realizing that the best elements of the hunting personality world was all of us just as a true hunter and legitimate passionate love and being good human beings that that was sometimes being left out in these productions and so i think as i as i saw the confidence that i started getting in my fellow heroes if that's the way i want to say it and I started getting more confidence in these personalities and really the behind the scenes of the industry. That's when I started pushing, not just for me, but like, no, dude, let's leave that in. That That is yeah. this guy getting a little emotional. That is this guy kind of going to uh, a, a level that you never would have seen because you would have thought. So you actually cool. started like making it more real, not through yourself, yes. but as a as a director. Sort of yes. know, like the camera I, I would guy say and so. the editor and all of that. And, and yeah. so then you sort of were attracted to this more like, hey, let's be real here. Let's show some yeah. emotion, some excitement, whatever you, whatever happens, happens. That's correct. The and legitimate, then, because yeah, that's, that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. And then, so when you start, probably I, I'm guessing like your personality really started to develop like during road trips, right? 
Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, and, and ironically, road trips. I mean, not, excuse me, I shouldn't say your personality yeah. started to develop, but it started to like be shown to everybody. That is correct. That's yeah. when it really got shown. I, I, you know, and, and, and with that, when I had a more chance to hunt, to be honest, back then too, I mean, especially bow hunting, when you had these big networks and the money that Realtree had invested in just the airtime, you know, we still buy airtime, even from Outdoor Channel. And, and you have to sell sponsorships to make ends yeah, meet. Sure. Most of the time, these TV shows that most people think are getting rich, well, you know this, Alan. If you can break even and, and generate twenty or $30,000 for people yourself. People are like, after, how much does the Outdoor Channel pay you for your show? No, that's, that's not how it works. That's, don't work <laughs> it's that It's the exact way. opposite. Exactly. We pay them. It, exactly. So, yep. so obviously, you know, you know how difficult and frustrating it can be. And so at the end of the day, you know, um, it's nice getting some free product. And but if you don't have make enough generate enough income off your sponsors, you know, you, you really can't go eat, you know, a dozen, you know, double X 75s yeah. back in the day. But, you know, so you, you've got to get a fair way to make money. And so I think for me, it was uh, as I started seeing the, these certain elements, I started having a lot of confidence in the fact that that the behind the scenes is what was missing. And so we used to have a manager at Realtree every Monday morning. And David Blanton was the executive producer. And so all of us production guys, and at the time, there was probably only four of us, four or five production guys. Our show was on TNN. It was starting to transfer over to ESPN because TNN become the national network. And they had told us in a big meeting that they were doing away with all hunting shows, that it, it was a more of a liberal mindset and they didn't right. want any death of any animals. So ESPN was entertaining the idea. And so we were going to move Real Outdoors to ESPN, but then we couldn't show the shot we had to have a cutaway of the air going off but you couldn't show the impact right or the rifle shot and so it kind of changed the landscape by that time outdoor channel was coming on in the meantime now i've become friends with all these heroes and you know celebrities and personalities and and they're so fun and the biggest thing the takeaway of hunting with some of these celebrities wasn't the fact that he gave me an opportunity to name drop i started learning how to be more secure because those guys are so easy to be around. A lot of times people think it's harder to be around these celebrities. It's actually really easy once you get in because they really don't care what you think of. Honestly, right? they don't. Yeah. A true artist that's writing music or singing, most of those guys that I met were so secure. They didn't care if me or you or anybody liked them. They were just saying what they wanted to. They said the jokes they wanted to say. And if they liked you, you knew it. And if they didn't, you would know it. And so that was just kind of their alpha mentality. Well, I kind of drew to that. And I, I learned that why they were so likable is because they were so easy to a degree to be around. Now, that ain't the That's case with every celebrity. Yeah. And so I remember being with those guys and thinking, you know, man, if they can have that confidence, why can't our industry have this confidence? And why, why are we editing and taking away the biggest selling point of these artists and these drivers, and in a lot of cases, these personalities that are at the, you know, that's at the front of representing our industry. And so, you know, quickly, if we're all in camp, it didn't matter if we're from the South or out West or Northeast or really even out of the country, everybody around the campfire was talking the same stuff. You're laughing, you're cutting up, yeah. you're talking about family, you're talking about adventures. You know, you might tip your toe barely into politics a little bit. But you're talking about your love of God, you're talking about your blessings, and then you're sitting there and you're drinking a few whiskey drinks and you're doing a little sin and two and you go to bed and you repeat. And then 
hopefully it's you or me that comes in with this nice white tail or muley and yeah. we're high-fiving and we all helping each other get them out and then you know oh jojo's at you know at back getting up some firewood and we're gonna have a big fire and cook a big pot of chili and so it's just, that was kind of the vibe and so with that i thought man this is not being shown at the level of what it should this is you know what we should be selling and so i came into one of those managers meeting alan and i told david i said david i got a concept for a show and i said and it's behind the scenes and so i started throwing it on him it was another producer called steve finch was in this uh meeting and we threw it on him i said i don't know who we get to host it but i'm telling you david it will be a hit and my vote was why don't we go ahead and buy some airtime it's little or nothing i mean back then they was practically giving away airtime on outdoor channel and i said why don't we produce something different and put it over an outdoor channel well in my mind the production and the way when you say something it, different yeah. yeah what does that mean yeah. something different and something maybe that's what you're going to explain something different was to air the things and show the emotion and excitement that we would not have shown knowing that seven million people were watching yeah. almost like the raw kind of like the way yeah. we would produce a youtube kind of what we've been talking about and so yes did at that moment did you feel like this was sort of revolutionary i didn't even think it was revolutionary i just thought it was more honest like it, if it but you Oddly did you enough, not feel was, like yeah. any did you feel like nobody else was doing that at the no, time? No, I knew nobody else. No, I knew okay. nobody else was doing it because at that point, from all of our competitors, from uh, you know, from all of at the time Hoyt's competitors or any mm -hmm. TV show or any type of radio, any type of even if you went to Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's, you know, all the guys had on nice buttoned up start shirts, yeah, and right. khaki pants. You didn't see blue jeans. You didn't see a t-shirt or, yeah, or dress like you and I are for this yeah. podcast where I'm representing Bone Collector and Hoyt. You represent Hoyt, but, but we're regular people. And so right. we're not, we're not above or below anybody listening. We're just hunters who passionately love this. And certainly we want to grow it. And certainly we want to be respectful to our last name as well as the companies. And yeah. so I just started realizing all we got to do is be real. And so I started gaining confidence because now I had met so many people in the industry and I had confidence, not only uh, in who I was working with, but even the competitors. I'm thinking these are some good folks and the ones that are not so good folks. Well, guess what? Let them expose themselves and we're not going to do anything yeah. with those guys anyway. So, and I started realizing too, that the people, when you go on these adventures, you meet some really intriguing people, whether it's the, you know, the, the person cooking in camp or the person you run into at the airport, or it could be the guy at the rental car center. And I started realizing there was so much color and so much excitement and flavor and adventure and just not just the hunt, but all the travel itself. And so therefore we come up with the name road trip. I had voted to call it Realtree road trip and Blanton said, no, we got to call it road trips. It's got to be plural. And yeah. so he shocked me. And I said, David, we just got to get somebody who don't care, who, who has a very solid, security about them and they don't need to be the hello everybody welcome to today's show and today <laughs> we're going to be going to namibia and hunting the great right. plains game it needs to be just somebody who don't hey, you kick the accent for that that was really good did you like that yeah that was like, great <laughs> it's like it's like when when some of them guys they're australian have to go into an english accent that's kind of how just i did it that. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i told so david when i was throwing this idea he said well, dude i want you to host it I'm like, whoa, hey, now I didn't come in here to, to yeah. pitch me a hosting gig. I said, I, he said, well, Michael, I, I like what you're saying. And I do agree. He said, but to be honest, um, 
I just feel like your energy and your hunting ability, because David Blanton was always very supportive of me and why he let me bow hunt early on was not just because of, you know, I don't think I was getting paid a lot. David started getting a lot of confidence. Like, hey, send Michael over there. I think Michael will find success. He's He'll man, that gave me all. Oh, yeah. Yes. That was kind of that daddy syndrome that made me proud. You know, like, yeah. son, go cut us a load of firewood. I know you can do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got it, Pops. And so then I then it become like, okay, man, I'm I'm gonna make sure to make David happy. I'm gonna make Bill happy. And yes, I'm gonna make a good shot and I'm gonna bring back yep. the bacon, so to speak. And so David started getting a lot of confidence in me as a bow hunter. So when I pitched this idea, it kind of doubled down on me that, that this man believed in me. And he not only believed in my hunting ability, but he believed in my ability to be secure and to kind of instigate this show. And so that that's really cool, man. I, that is super cool because what is it in life to have somebody believe in you and sort of have a high expectation for you? You know that as humans, we tend to fill the expectations that people have yeah. for us, high or low. If people have low yeah. expectations of us, we tend to sort of drift that way. And if people believe yeah. in us, we we want to like we want to deliver. That's that's pretty incredible. I mean, I to me, it's inspirational. He believed in you, and Thank you stepped up. That's cool. He did. And, and, uh, and, and I'm forever grateful for that. And, and he did. And so I, I think it was just a, a, a culmination of, of meeting all these people, these heroes. And two, one thing I thought was very unbelievably humbling was, you know, again, I can talk about Chuck Adams. And, and, I, and I think we got to be careful in our industry these days. Um, Chuck never acted like he was above me. Um, certainly, he didn't talk like me. And he didn't even celebrate a kill like me, but he was Chuck Adams. And he always talked to me in a way when I asked him about his equipment, when I asked him about what was he doing with that angle finder, he was the first mm -hmm. guy I ever saw when I was in a deer stand that he was using like literally geometry. He would get an yeah, angle right. finder, he'd take a range. The finder, inclinometer. Big, the inclinometer. Yeah. He yep. had this huge, I think it was a Swarovski or like a range finder. It was a, you know, looked like a car huge, battery. Right. He, he would, he would range and range. And yeah. I asked him. And one thing about me, I've never had the pride where I was afraid to say, I don't know, or what are you doing? You know? And I was like, Chuck, what, what in the hell are you doing, dude? And he's like, man, it's a secret. And he kept doing it. And then he'd get another little thing. And I'm like, man, this guy's yeah. a mad scientist. And he said, it's a, he said, I'm, he said, the angle and the trajectory, it all goes together in this, this range. And he was telling me about sheep and stuff. And so in that, I always respected that Chuck would take this high energy, you know, redneck, and he would always give me the time. Now I was in camp with him and, and he made me feel like that I could be what he had become. Uh, I, I never, and I still don't try to put myself with a Chuck Adams, but that is huge. You're talking about being a mentor. And like you said, expectations, when somebody says yeah. you can do it too, and, and, and they're not above you, but yet you have put them above yourself. Then there's something that can take over psychology yeah. wise within you to say, if he can do it, and he's telling me that I can, and he's telling me these secrets, and he's sitting out here on the range shooting his bow with me. Maybe I can at least kill a grizzly bear like Chuck did. And so anyway, <laughs> I can't say enough. And Chuck wasn't the only one. There was a lot of people like that. And I just thought they were things like that that wasn't shown. There was some of the humor. And so it, it was really, looking back, yes, it was revolutionary. However, it was, all we did was push the envelope a little bit and, and say that this is not negative that we get excited when we kill a deer. Yes, yeah. we're, 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 you know, when, when the campfire's going, what's in the red solo cup, 
you can judge, but we're just <laughs> adults having fun with our friends. And when we meet people that are in this camp, we don't care if they're Republican, Democrat, Muslims or Christians or whoever they are. It's just that we're all hunters and we're all at this even playing field. And, and I thought that that was one of the coolest things inevitably as I grew and matured about the hunting camps is that realistically, everybody seemed to get along. I mean, there yeah. was every once in a while, the game hog over there that was coming behind everybody's back. Like, man, I heard Alan's on a big billy, dude. I need to, mm-hmm. you, I, you need to send him <laughs> to the Western Mountain. I need to be on that deer. You know, you had a right. little game hogs, but as far as the campfire, dude, yeah. you had billionaires and you had people broke living in trailers that had saved all their life to be on this hunt. So I I've just seen thought that, that too. hadn't been experienced. I, I just thought that that had not been documented. And, uh, and that was what I was really wanting to do. So, uh, that, and that leads into something I was curious about, because I, I think, I think you're touching on this subject. So on your sort of mission statement on your bone collector page, it says that bone collector is a company dedicated to standing up for the hunting culture. Yes. What, first of all, what, what do you mean by hunting culture? And then like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what do you, what do you mean by standing up for it? Right. I mean, and that is a great and fair question. What I mean by that, obviously hunting and those of us hunt, we understand that culture. And one thing I will say where I come from, I just assumed everybody hunted and fished. I just assumed mm-hmm. everybody saved their money to buy a new Hoyt boat. I assumed everybody knew who Chuck Adams was. I assumed everybody knew who Fred Bear was and had watched that video of him stepping out behind the rock and killing that right. brown bear. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I thought everybody watched me play football on Friday night too, dude. And hey, you know Manchester. what though? You know what though, Michael? Right now we have listeners that are listening to this podcast who don't know who Chuck Adams is. That I know it. And that that and, is kind of crazy. The younger crazy generation, <laughs> that, like we we grew up on a steady diet of Chuck Adams, right? So well, I, I tell again, you, if you if you yeah. are listening. Like Alan said, if you are listening and, and you think, Chuck Adams, who's this guy? Google this man and you research and you get his book. And, you know, you're talking about the yeah. history of Hoyt and Easton. Oh, my God. And just realistically, um, I mean, just unbelievable accomplishments. But I can go on forever about Chuck. Yeah, he, so he, could I. But, um, but anyway. So, so back to the culture. Yeah. Like, where does that tie into the culture? And how, how does that how, – how do you go about preserving that? I, I think the first thing you can do – when I say, you know, protect the culture. Well, if you are part of a culture, you know, it's funny. I've been watching a lot of Netflix and you watch, like I watched the Outlander and, you know, it's all about this Scottish culture. And then you got the English culture and you got all this stuff. And then well, to, to represent and to protect a culture, you got to first be proud of this culture. And so the hunting industry I always thought was really unique or the hunting culture was unique because it is made up of a lot of different people. It goes past all ethnicities. It goes past political beliefs. It goes mm-hmm. past everything. So if you're into this mindset that, yes, I do want to know more and I do practice the field to table, or I am a guy who every once in a while when I get a vacation, I want to go spot and stalk a mule deer out west, or I do want to go down south and chase turkeys and learn turkey hunting, or I want to go duck Do hunting. you feel that's all part of the same culture? I do. I, I do. Even though in that culture, there can be, you know, disagreements in a different yeah. way we go about it. You know, the, the difference between maybe the guy who is a hunter who does want to take a nice shotgun and shoot a limb and a dove maybe in Mississippi, but mm-hmm. really don't care to go to Africa to bow hunt, yeah. you know, uh, an Impala or 
maybe he don't really care to go hunt an elk in, in, in the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Um, well, and not to me, get too far yeah. off subject, but I want to I, I want to throw something out there that's been bothering me. Yeah. So th- this whole like, I don't know if field to table is the right term, but this yeah. whole idea of like, I only hunt to fill my freezer. I, 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 feel, I feel like people are just trying to make an excuse. They are. And it's it's like it bothers me. Like I hunt because I freaking love it. It is the it's a blast. It's an adventure. Sure, I eat the animals, but that's not why. I'm that's not the primary reason. No. The primary reason is I freaking love it. It's it's in us. We're we're lions, man. We 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 are the lion. And and if you understand nature, dude, it's so ironic you bring up that. First of all, Alan, these are the things I want to talk about. Sometimes right it can be difficult and controversial. Yeah. However, listen to this. So all of, we build a house, my wife and I. My wife is this crazy, crazy animal lover. So I get a brand new house. <laughs> and so what I get rewarded with, I got a cat in my bed, like literally a cat in my bed. So I'm freaking out. I don't want animals all in my bed. My, and it's a new yeah. house, right? So I, right. just like any person or any family or husband or wife who built a house, you, you go over budget, right? And so I'm like, I got this beautiful house. And I'm like, and then now she's got two more kittens. I watched just before. So we're down here. <laughs> laughing people think this is made up and it's just marketing i was building the chicken coop just before i come in and jumped on this call right yeah, you I'm mentioned that. My da- we're building a chicken coop out here for these laying chickens and these little kittens are out there and a grasshopper hops by this cat and a cat is a, is a predator they're just many little mixed breed lines right and this grasshopper hops and the cat goes over here and bites it and fights it and toys with it and finally mutilates it and kills it he don't eat it he just yeah. killed it. Right. Well, the argument with PETA and even sometimes people in the hunting industry, well, dude, animals never waste food. They only kill what they need to survive. BS. Nah. BS. I- I've watched grizzly bear or brown bear, not yeah. grizzly, but brown bear knock a salmon up on the bank, just eat the caviar and the fish is flopping uh, around. You now, ever seen a pack wasted. of wolves get into a big exactly. herd of caribou? They go on a killing spree and they kill 10 times what they could possibly they're murderers. They yeah, they they're hunters. They yes, have we, they yeah. have some sort of response chemical in their brain that when they when a wolf is on the attack, I mean, they, I imagine they have this incredible rush and they just yeah. attack, attack, attack. I agree. And you know what? We got a little bit of that in us too. Hundred percent. We we do. And and you know, I always say this tooth right here. Yeah. It, it's not like a lion, <laughs> but it's a canine tooth. It, it it's not for a sweet pea or, or corn, it, you know, it, it's for meat and jerky. Yeah. And so we're, we're naturally meat eaters. And so with that, I respect somebody who don't want to hunt, but I'm like you, Alan. Yes. Do I neglect the fact that when I take an animal that I should respect and make sure to make use of all the resources that he's given me through it being one of God's renewable resources, Absolutely. whether it be an elk deer or turkey, yeah. I eat it. But they are animals that I don't even enjoy eating. Like, I've never acquired the taste, say, for pronghorn. My buddy Nick would rather eat pronghorn than he would anything. Every pronghorn I've ever shot, I've given away. I've gotten them processed, and I've given them away. And you don't so why did they get Yeah, you. why did I kill a pronghorn? Because I wanted to freaking get him broadside, preferably 60 yards in the end, and freaking right behind the shoulder. And, and <laughs> I just, that's what I wanted. I, that's what I wanted to do. I, I didn't want to eat him. Um, right. Now, it was felt good that somebody did enjoy the meat. Now, when it gets to elk, 
Yeah, man, I, it, we'll, we'll get out there. And I know you in jujitsu, we'll fight over some milk back. <laughs> it was not only fun to make that shot, but dude, I mean, literally my wife loves me more when I bring home ilk me. I mean, so it, it goes hand in hand and I, I get it, but I, that is kind of what I talk about protecting hunting cultures. And there's another thing that I say in the bone collector creed all the time. We have no reasons to make excuses for who we are. We are born right. a hunter. I am a hunter. I'm a bone collector. So that was kind of the mission in our creed. And for me, whether you hate bone collector, hate me or respect or like what we do, we all can agree that we're just born hunters. And I think most of us are. And I think society takes that away from us other than some of us who get hungry. We're hunting. We're just looking for the golden arches off the you know, interstate to go get us a double cheeseburger for me and you. We still get a cheeseburger. We go to fast food and grab something to eat. But it's nice to know that if I'm at Allen, uh, Allen's residence right here. Yeah, I, kn- I know my homie has got some freaking meat in the freezer. If I'm stuck with him during COVID, yep. you're good. If you That's were stuck right. with me, you wouldn't even be worried about. Well, <laughs> I'm, hey, don't worry. We would want I know he's got something. Hey, if Otherwise, all those fellas will butcher your chickens. Exactly. With That's right. So I, I agree with you, Alan. Hundred percent, bro. So, so how it's does I mean? I that. love it. I, you said that so well. I mean, you freaking nailed it. So how do we? You know, I mean, when you talk about hunting culture, obviously there's all these different parts. And when I mentioned hunting culture, and you brought up, you know, the field to table group and all that, like, how do we all come together and get in a common cause? You know, and that comes into like yeah. rifle hunters and bow hunters and crossbow hunters and all this stuff. Like, yeah, how do we unite as a culture? to preserve and and what do we choose to defend and i mean you and i right now we we probably just offended somebody with yeah. everything we are just saying we did so, we did. so how, I, how do we do yeah. that express our views and not you know I, I don't know have you thought about this much i have i think it's probably been the biggest thing especially the last long time top of mind for me because it's the number one thing i think that is wrong with our industry i think that I think a big problem with a lot of American politics and everything, I think there's a bandwagon effect. And so what happens is there's not a lot of originality is what we would think. There's not a lot of people that truly think for themselves. They create these personas based on what they think the bandwagon will like. Um, prime example is all you got to do is dissect the culture of success in our industry. Uh, you take Chuck Adams. I, I'll mention him you know, one more time. Chuck wore the toque and he, you know, the green toboggan yeah. whatever it is yeah. where he's from in the country it changes and you know he was smiling ear to ear well if you look back there was a lot of people that had the same toboggan my dad wore it i wore it i thought i mean i'd be down in georgia be 80 degrees like wearing my chuck adams hat right <laughs> well then we start road trips and then all of a sudden there was a lot of tv shows trying to come up with because i i'm not gonna disagree that some of the stuff i say is very corny and stupid and probably immature <laughs> but I, I don't ever think about it until I look back and I embarrass myself with it because I wasn't thinking about it. It wasn't like I wrote it down and after the deer went down, I pull a you know note sheet out and start saying it. You pull and it off things, every time, man, because it's real. And I don't it's, know. It's real. Yeah. And so I'm not disagreeing that everybody don't think that you know you should say or do these things. It's just me. But in that, it's funny. I went and ran road trips in the height of success. There was like seven other shows and they were cracking the same jokes and saying the same stuff I did. And then all of a sudden people get into cinematic stuff and they say and do the same things. Cameron Haynes starts running 30 miles a day and everybody wants to be, a, you know, the Cameron Haynes. So I realize that there is a lot of following. And Copycat. so in that copycat I, mentality, very, yeah. yeah, that, that is. And so I'm, fl- I'm flattered personally by that. I know Cameron is. And so with the originality and some of this stuff, 
I think that what happens is people don't know truly who they are and they're worried about offending somebody that they're so insecure. So I think it gets back to a security thing. The only way to fix it is really tough. And the only other thing I will say that makes it even more difficult, Alan, that I don't think we can fix. And some of the girl listeners might agree or disagree. I think it's dominated by males. And I think if you go to ATA and sometimes in our industry, I think it's dominated by male. And sometimes the companies will use the male ego as their number one marketing point. So we're always Mm -hmm. tough. We're always in a grimace. We're so terrified to laugh and to say that it could be hard. We're so terrified to just say that, no, man, I don't like antelope meat, but I love to hunt them. Yeah. I hate antelope. Or, hey, what do you do with the bear meat? Like, I ain't eat no bear. Greasy. <laughs> that's like a nasty possum. I ain't eat no bear. No. You know what we do with bear meat in Canada? Yeah. We, we, you, know, you know what alchemy is? It's the ancient art of turning lead into gold. So we put the bear meat in crab traps and we no turn way. lead into gold. This is the best crab bait you ever saw. Now, now you're talking about field to table. Now That's this makes right. me want to go kill more bear. But That's right. <laughs> again, I think I, I think what happens is, Alan, we got a unbelievable. The insecurity yeah. is unbelievable, and I think that in reality, we have to quit marketing the industry on the male ego. Which most of the time, if you have a male ego, and we all have them, I've got an ego, man. Don't think sure. I don't. I'm yeah. sure you do. Yeah. But there's a difference in an insecure ego. And a very secure ego. So you think and the answer a, to the yeah. problem is just yeah. be yourself. Be yourself. That's Don't it. sweat it. Be, be yourself. yourself. I and like you, it, man. And, and, and I think that is the 100%. You know, even if you think about the conservative and liberal approach, uh, you know, if, if you really want to be open mind and you really want security, as we're talking about this and we're talking about how somebody in the hunting industry can't just say that. Hey, dude, I just shot a nice, you know, 100 inch whitetail or I shot a nice three point muley on private ground. But they, it's almost like they, you know, sinned and they broke one of the Ten Commandments by doing that. They really want to say, dude, I walked 30 miles. He was yeah. on public on a tag that's, you know, really it was hundreds of hunters in there. And I was able to slide in and camp three days to get him and almost died. And had wolves come into my camp and almost ate me. That's what they really want to say. But in reality, here's how it could have happened. And they're insecure about the story because it might make them seem lesser. I think at the end of the day, let's just be ourselves. Let's just be able to say, this is what I like. You don't have to eat and, and, and freaking, you know, drink 10 gallons of Mountain Ops if you really want to eat oatmeal pie and eat a Swiss cake roll and go eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> and what do just you do prefer? What, you- what do you prefer? Oh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's now, right. it hurts me. <laughs> it, it, it hurts me sometimes. I'm telling you, every September, Alan, I'll be on the mountain behind the likes of you who's been doing jujitsu all summer, my buddies <laughs> out west. And I'm like, slow down. Like, we got to go. And I'm like, I, I want to go, but I eat too many Swiss cake rolls. So g- yeah. Give me a week and I'll do get you, acclimated. And I will, I will seriously, though, do you, do you have any kind of workout regimen to get ready for, say, an elk hunt? Outside of hard work? No. And I will jog a little bit. and. Yeah. uh and I'll go play basketball, but I live okay, on 550 yeah. acres and, and man, my dad is, is alive and well, he's 68 and he works hard. And so really the only thing I do to stay in shape is literally hard manual labor, man. Yeah. When I'm off and I don't have business to tend to at the office, man, I enjoy, I enjoy exploring and looking for sheds and walking. So nothing regimented, no gym. Yeah. No. And I'll, I'll do some pushups and stuff like that. But it's all leading up into something I know that's about to hurt me if I don't think about it a little bit. Yep. I, I'm not a I'm not a very good dieter. I mean, I might see that, man.
man, my pants are getting a little snugger or I don't put on a little five pounds of chub and like, man, I'm just in better shape has nothing to do with vanity. It had, it would have everything to do with the fact that me and you are going somewhere and I, and I don't want to be yeah. the guy way behind. So that's right. So Sometimes no, we get in yeah. shape out of fear. I've been, yeah, I would say I'm yeah. that, I'm that guy. Yeah. I get in shape out of fear. Now with that, I will admit that, um, I'm, I'm lazy to the workout regimen and, and it's funny you know, I look back on, on my life and there was a lot of dumb things I did. If you want to call it sins and craziness or partying. And so now I've kind of got this hard headed, prideful attitude. Like, man, I didn't gave up everything that I used to do. I just want a piece of fried chicken, you know, maybe two yeah. times a week, you know, I might yeah. I want a piece of cheesecake. And so that that's, you know, and then, yeah, you know, you get Netflix and you sit on the couch. And so for me, my, my regimen of getting in shape has all to do with what tags I draw, and and where I'm going. So to be honest with you, sometimes maybe nervous. Like, man, I might be. Look, I might look like T-bone if I don't draw some good L tags. <laughs> yeah, you so, know, I've seen a theme here, man. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but from how your career came to be, how you became a very recognizable personality, to what you think the solution is to the hunting culture coming together, to how you do your workout schedule, the theme is be yourself. Be yourself and have Seriously, fun. Seriously, I mean, that's your, like major your lane, career. Man. Yeah. It's made my career. And I think everybody is awesome. I think individually, you know, we, we hear a lot about team. We hear a lot about, you know, bandwagons. I'm kind of for the first time, and I don't want to beam this in a weird, selfish, you know, isolated way. But I think individually, most people are pretty amazing. I think it's when you start really following and really start getting out of your zone of what you really want out of life is when you start finding depression. And I think that's also when you start finding, you don't find success there. And, yeah. and you said it earlier, Alan, I don't think we have enough people in our life that encourage us to be ourselves, to go after things and our dreams. And sometimes our dreams, we're living, you have to really dissect it and say, are they really your dreams? They could right. be your parents. They could be your parents. It could be your wives. It could be this dream that you think you have is about providing. And therefore, that is why you got this job that you worked your butt off to maybe generate a solid income, but you hate it. And so the dream in your mind is to provide for your family. But in reality, you sacrifice everything yeah. that you might have of yourself. And so I think that that can lead to serious depression. And so I think if it's what you say, and I think what you will find, if you're truly yourself, you will find the people that love you and will respect you. And the people that can't find that common ground or you know, whether it's anything, politics or whatever. And that's why I hate this cancel and woke culture. Right. I mean, I, I don't disagree with anybody wanting to do what they want to do, but don't come jacking with me and my buddy Allen if we want to chase a mule deer, right? Don't, right. I mean, don't get mad at us because we said we kill a bear and, you know, try to make some gold out of it. I mean, dude, you're, you're, you're sitting here telling me that you're a woman when, when I know you're a man. But I don't care. I'm cool with that. But you're you're mad at me. You're coming into mine. I ain't coming over to yours. Yeah, do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Do what you want to do. Yeah. We just want to bow hunt, man. We want a good hot fire right. on a cool rainy night in Alaska. That's what we want. <laughs> you know, I, I might want a nice cigar and, and a little bit of sip of bourbon and just just look at the sunset, man, in the Yukon or something. I, you know, that, I, I don't love get it. why people are freaking out about individualism and yet this is what the country is fighting about yeah or, or, and, and so i think the industry is in the same thing i think we get into these bandwagons and and i think we don't even know we don't know, know what rhyme or reason 
And then all of a sudden, are we, are we focusing and marketing on legitimacy or an illusion of what we think this industry should look like? So that gets into what I think about the culture. Yeah. I think you got to strip it down to why me and you do it. And it will be different because sure. some people are different. And I think For you're me, right. We have yeah. to figure out, we have to figure out why we do it ourselves. That is like, correct. Not only is it my business, but I, I should make sure it's my business and that, mm-hmm. that I'm authentic to myself. That's it. Not trying to be somebody else. Answer. You know, I'm that not trying to be uh, I, whatever. I mean, like, for example, I love scoring animals. I yeah. freaking love it. I love, tro- I'm a trophy hunter, unapologetically. Nothing wrong with it. And I love it, but it is like, it's gotten to the point people don't like that anymore. Well, I don't care. No, and it's, and it's dumb because here's a quick argument to defend that. If, if trophy hunting was so bad. Now, on the other hand, somebody like me, 90%, and this, this will freak people out. And I hadn't said this a lot on podcasts. 90% of my animals that I've shot, and I've been very blessed to kill some big animals. I don't even have mounted. So yeah. I am almost Nick Munt, who is, I mean, he's in our group, the biggest trophy hunter. Yeah. I don't really chase score. I like mature animals. And, I, and, and yet I will get attached. Like I remember the biggest elk I ever shot was like a, he was a, like 380 in the Gila National Forest. And so it was everything that what the public would want me to do or the haters nowadays would want me to do. It was a DIY public yeah. land hunt in Unit 15 in New Mexico. All right. And it was the biggest elk to this day that I ever shot. Shot him with my Hoyt. That's all right. Awesome. So I'm, I'm tickled to death. But the elk is not even mounted right now. The biggest wow. white color shot was like 190. He's not even mounted. Wow. Now I pick him up and look at him. But, but here's my argument with people who say, no, dude, if you're not doing it for, you know, fill the table, then you're just a freaking bad influence. Man, come on, give me a break. And, and uh, like I said, I, see, I even was able to do that accent. Whatever I, that I was, was going to say it, but yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting here thinking like, if, if trophy hunting was such a bad thing, Alan, now, now look at this. I, I get a chance to go speak at the Pope and Young banquet this year. They, I'm they looking had forward to that. I'll as, be there on, on Friday night. I, and I'm, yes, and I'm so jazzed and jacked about it. And we're going to see records broken. We're going to see people's years successful. And we're going to measure it on, on some scores. Sure. But listen to this. If it's so bad, then why come we're steady breaking records? It's not because of the Amish are responsible for it. They're, they're killing everything. Now, the Amish, some of those guys are pretty serious trophy hunters. Don't oh, get me wrong. But, it is, oh, yeah. but it is, it's the ultimate field-to-table community. But our herds, our fisheries, my son is a, is a bass fisherman. He's fishing on a full scholarship in college. Let, yesterday, wow. they just secured school of the year. So they won the kind of the national championship of college fishing. Their team did on the points, kind of like if you win a NASCAR Dang. Cup Series or a Supercross yeah. Series. And so I'm so proud of them. They're not looking for little bass. They're trying to catch the big bass. But because of all these people that are in it, the fisheries and the big bass are so plentiful now. That's There's right, bigger man. elk now it's than better ever than was because ever. of people like you. Ah. And, and, if, and if it didn't matter, then our herds would, we wouldn't have five and a half to eight and a half year old elk That's running right. around out in New Mexico. We wouldn't. Have, in Georgia, there's a lot of trophy hunters. Dude, we're killing 170 inch, 80 inch deer in Georgia. I can't believe it. I know. It's, so it's, it's incredible. The conservation e- efforts and all and trophy hunting all plays together for healthier herds. It Absolutely. all plays together. But I'm it, not going to pretend yeah. that that's why I do it. I like, I like it because I like bone and lots of that's it. That's right. And there's yeah. nothing wrong. There's nothing yep. wrong with that. And it's, yep. that's, that's the point that, that, that I think you and I are together somewhat trying to make. What we have to do 
is learn to accept that there is all of us who like different things. You're not all of a sudden this sissy dude because all you really like to do is to kill a few mallard ducks and go upland bird hunting and go dove Fair. hunting in, yeah. in, in Mississippi. Um, also, you're not an idiot because you maybe don't like to chase turkeys like I do. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I don't really care for going, you know, to shoot a, a I don't even know what they are, muskox up in the Arctic. Right. Yeah. It's it's because I haven't I seen you do much. Choice. I haven't seen you do much backpack hunting, for example. No, I and I, I and maybe, have done some, but maybe but it's I, not but, your favorite yeah. thing, and it doesn't. It's have not to be. as my favorite thing. Like yeah. I remember, um, and you might remember Sean Munson and Anthony Dixon. Me, mm-hmm. we went on a couple hunts together, and oh, vice yeah. versa. They always want to go turkey hunt with me, and so what's crazy is they held up their end of the bargain, and we went on several backpack hunts. And I remember, and I remember we went to Adak Island. Oh yeah, I've been there many. I've been there twice. I've spent forty days of my life on it. Dude, I have to ask you later. You know what's what what's happening up there now? I'm not being big caribou. I know there's nothing. Now I I was I spent twenty three days on there year before last. No, I I never. I got stuck on on oh my god on the south end of the island with twenty five foot seas, and in in twenty three days I never saw a caribou I wanted to shoot. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. I, I mean, and that feels like on a little research that they should just be some woolly mammoths. There's something there. wrong. I mean, There's something wrong. That the the antlers are flimsy. The ones really? my brother, my my son shot one, and but there's like a lot kinda, of something, caribou there. Some, yeah, there's a lot of caribou. There's some kind of nutritional deficiency. I got gotcha. you. Anyway, well, yeah, we can get I, I had, that, but yeah, but no, no, that that's good there, to hear. The I point is, everybody there, likes yeah. different things. You know, a lot of people are not going to like getting stuck on the south tip of Adak Island for 23 days. No, a lot of people are not it, gonna it, like that. Yeah, and I and I went and I was out of my comfort zone. That was funny. Here I am, the redneck, you know, country boy from Georgia. So, so there is a lot of natural, you know. I was talking about chickens and agriculture stuff. So yeah. I'm naturally, I grew up around that. So I remember it's funny. Me and Sean and Anthony, they're they're filtering all the water, and I'm over there just guzz drinking. Like, Dude, <laughs> you gonna get beaver fever? And I'm like, look, I might be the most uneducated, there but they said no there's no beavers, beavers here. Funny. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there ain't no beaver. You can't get beaver fever if there ain't no beavers. I yeah. said, they just said there's a few foxes and caribou, and I don't think that piss no of the water's going to hurt. And it just rained. So it's funny. I'm the, I'm not the backpacking guy, and I'm over there. But you got the common simplest, sense. I got yeah. common sense. Like, man, I am Georgia. We, you know, man, I didn't yeah. have air conditioning until I was, you know, moved out, started working at Realtree. Yeah. And so, I, but, it, but in that, I, that, I do. Now, what I do love, I love the West. I, I've, I've hunted a lot out West. But when I say backpack, I love, like, the wall tent camps. Yeah, it's yeah. Still, where you hunting out of you know a Polaris or a yeah. you know our truck, but I love to come. You back have your day and pack, and you, yes. you put on a lot yes, of miles. Day pack, yeah, but That's, you don't have to yeah. pitch your tent out of your pack that night. No. Yeah, I got. Gotcha. I do. Yeah, I yeah. haven't done a lot of that. I've only probably been in my career probably seven hunts like that. I did enjoy it, but to be honest, getting back to my workout regime, dude, I'm not. I'm not. I have not had the discipline to put myself in that type of elite to a degree to be as successful in that. And so again, for me, there lies a great security that some people can't say. I don't have a problem saying that. Yeah, And nice. so has most of my animals, bigger animals sincerely come from public ground? Yes. Do I have a problem hunting private? Do I still try to hunt private where I can? Yes. And even now, Why because not? now my, I, man, I've done a lot more in private because now I got good contacts. People know yeah. my name. They invite yeah. me and I'm like, hell yeah, I'm there. Of course. But, but if you research, obviously some of the biggest elk are on these public land hunts like Nevada, um, mm-hmm. Arizona, New Mexico, Utah. 
you yeah. can get these tags and it's public. Now, granted, it's, it's the select few. So I found that that is the best hunt sometimes to go on. So, you know, you go, you go where, 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 uh, the experience you're after and the type of animal you're after, it could be private, public. It doesn't matter. You just go where it's best yeah. for you. So I have one, one question you brought up Nick, Nick Munt earlier. And I'm wondering if you could tell me about the time that you woke up in the middle of the night with somebody sitting on you. Dude, that was, that was actually in. Did that really happen? Like what, what, what's the story here? It's the freakiest thing. And I, I don't know that if it was something happened, like I've never been this big ghost dude. Right. I've never, I mean, I mean, I can't say that I ain't ever been, you know, it's funny. I, I, speaking of camping and backpacking, I've never been afraid in in the wild. Like I've never freaked out. Oh my God, brown bear, you know, and I, I don't know. I've just, so you and Nick, you're, you're what? In New we're Mexico? hunting. We're hunting, but the only thing I've ever been afraid of is like ghosts and spirits. Like I don't like yeah. watch horror movies even. So right. we had been I don't hunting. either, honestly. Yeah. Dude, I just like it's the only thing that I know can kick my butt. I can't. I mean, like I said, I mean, you got a broke nose look like now because you've been sparring in jujitsu, man. Yeah. I mean, and so so obviously you know you don't mind to yeah, have to fight. A human being, worried. no problem, right? But well, how are you going to karate? You ain't going to judo chop a ghost. You done right? You can't. So, so, shop, so right? tell me, you're you're in your tent, and I'm we're in this camp. Yep, and and I'm laying in this. It was like, well, it actually was an old makeshift uh, Pony Express cabin. So, um, it was a, a very rustic, no electricity. Yeah, kind of like kind of spooky. Yes. Yeah, almost to where you almost want to pitch a tent because it's yeah, cleaner. I've been and, yeah. there. Yep, yep, yep. And um, and so we're in this camp, so tired. We had been antelope hunting um all day and we and then we had like a six hour drive so we come back and we didn't get into bed to like 1 30 to 2 30 in the morning and then of course we're elk hunting the next morning so we're going to be up at, at 4 35 so we had a couple hours we could sleep we are exhausted like melt into this little you know uh cot and and literally my eyes open and and something jumps like it gets on me but i can't see it and it's, it feels like it's got it got me pressed to the bottom of this this cot and i can't breathe dude but my nick, eyes are nick open. said this is a funny story you're scaring me yeah. no it was serious and i'm like, <laughs> I'm like oh, and i can't breathe and alan i'm this is no lie i've never told i'm not i never really <laughs> even told i told my wife you know and i'm like nick, i'm trying to say nick nick finally hears me and as soon as nick wakes up what's up what what's up and I, and it and i feel it like jump off of me and, and go and I literally had the Bible like on my nightstand. Oh, I grabbed yeah. my Bible, man. It freaked me out. So I don't know if it was some kind of hallucinatory. I was so exhausted. Tired or yeah. Who knows? Tired or, or maybe whatever. it was Nick. <laughs> maybe it was Nick, but I look over to see him. And so the next, the next day I, um, I'm talking to our friend who we hunt with and, and I, I tell him, I said, man, y'all ain't going to believe me, but I think I just was freaking out. But man, I felt like something had me pinned down, like supernatural, had me pinned down up there yeah. in my cot. And he said, well, dude, this place is extremely haunted. This is an old Pony Express. And, oh, and my wife has seen people sitting on heat. She saw like a Civil War person sitting out there. Saw, you know, a, a, like a Union soldier, you know. Uh, and I'm like, what? And I'm, like, and I'm sitting there thinking. So <laughs> every night I come here, we stay there the rest <laughs> of the seven days hunting elk. And I was like looking around, like wake up, like I ain't no ghost. And I'm sitting there looking for one. So, oh, yeah, that gosh. was a true story. So, no, Nick probably told it as funny because he thought I'd done 
well, smoked something. I, I, have, I, I said, I, I said, hey, Nick, I'm, I'm going to be getting on a podcast with, with Mike. So give me something good to ask him to totally take him off guard. And I think, Dude. I think we succeeded. <laughs> you did. You got me, man. <laughs> right on, man. Hey, well, Dude, I loved this. This was a lot of fun. And you know what? I've got like several sort of like I made some mental notes of things I wanted to talk to you about. And I got to like, uh, you know, like a fifth of them. So we should do it again because there's some cool stuff. We Anytime, can buddy. I, yeah. I enjoy talking and I appreciate your attitude, Alan. I follow what you do. And, and again, I think to summarize what we're talking about, I really think even if let's just say somebody's listening and y'all, maybe you're aggravated with me, maybe you're aggravated with Alan the way this maybe what we're talking about. I, I'm not, and I don't think Alan is, we're not calling out anybody. What I'm saying is I respect the way you want to go about it, especially if it's legitimate, just respect maybe the way I want to go yeah. about it and the way I talk and the way I do. And, and I think, again, I think that is some of the problem we have in the hunting industry. The same problem we have, I think in America right now is man, every different strokes, man, yeah, everybody dude. likes the hunting industry is big. Look at the species. We're going to be selling, celebrating a lot of the super slams and, and the yeah. grand slam of sheep. And so if you look at that, it's a lot of different disciplines. What we do out West to be successful will not work at all down South. You know, if in, 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 in the down South, if you take a mentality of how you bow hunt and take it out West, you're going to not even come close to getting on a mule deer. So, so in that you got all this huge arena. And all I would say is we work so hard and life is so short. We deserve to hunt and do it the way we want to do it and find the adventure the way we want to find it. If you're if you're obese, but you still love to hunt, and, and maybe you found that you don't even like to hunt elk because you can't get around because maybe you're out of shape. And it wouldn't well, be fun. Then it wouldn't be fun. Then if you enjoy just what you're doing, then stick there. If yeah. elk hunting and that desire to do that convicts you enough, maybe that will be what makes you lose weight. It does me. So I, yeah, I'm admitting, you yeah. know, I, I'm not, I'm not a health guy that much like I should be, but I stay in pretty good shape because I'm too addicted to the Western right. climate and the Western hunting. And as you know, Alan, you cannot do it unless you have some form of solid physical health. You just can't do it. Yeah. And so, um, so I'm, I'm definitely, I'm not at the level of you. I'm not at the level of a Cameron or some of these guys that, that I also are good friends with. But we all find a way to find a lot of fun and adventure. And I think it's we just have to accept everybody. And as we're kind of maybe knock the chops on the field to table guy, I know there is some hipsters in our movement. And I don't know if they want to be described that way. But, dude, welcome. I respect you. I can't wait to share camp with you. And I think it's cool. And in one way. Just mutual respect. We, you're mutual just saying we respect. just want mutual respect. That is Mutual awesome. respect. You nailed it. And that's man. what it should nailed be. Nailed it. That's what yeah. it should be. And, yeah. and that's and and you can joke about it, like you know. I talk about Cameron. Cameron's a good friend of mine. I was man. Are you kidding me? Cameron's a, a freaking beast. Yeah. But I pick on Cameron all the time. Like Cameron saw me at ATA, and he might remember. He's like, "Hey, what else, man? Dude, we're gonna run in the morning." I'm like, "Hell no, no, I ain't, <laughs> no, man. We we going to this. We're going to eat a steak and drink a beer. And and man, I already got to be over at this place at eight thirty in the morning. I'm gonna sleep the eight. <laughs> like, well, we're going to get up. At, we're we're going to run at six. I'm like, I know you crazy maniac. I don't want to run. I'm going to make, I got to work and I'm on vacation, man. I'm going to go to Waffle House. And then, you know, yeah. and, and we're cutting up and he laughs and we high five. And, you know, and, and then, you know, we pick up Jim Shockey and I, if you saw me and Jim Shockey meet in the hall, you'd swear we hate each other. We are just, <laughs> he just grinds on me and I grind back on him and, and it's all out of respect and love. And look, we all have our niche. We all have what we love and we all 
preach what we think is important. And it all is important. And I think that's what we're just trying to say is just gear it down a little bit, hunting industry. Gear it down and realize that everybody don't think like you. Everybody don't think like me. We have a lot of adventure and a lot of things to hunt, a lot of ways to do it. All we ask is you're an idiot if you don't do it with a Hoyt. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. Just that one thing. Oh, man, you killed it. Excellent, excellent podcast. Thank you, Mike, for joining me and Hoyt. It was, uh, we're going to do it again. Well, thank you too, buddy. And thanks to the Hoyt family for having me in. And, and like I said, it's, it's been an amazing, I pinch myself every day and I sincerely mean it. If, if all of a sudden I, I didn't even get a chance to, to represent in this industry, I, I've been so grateful and I, I've never been so humbled and convicted in my life as where I'm at. I, I'm so blessed. And, uh, and I'm mainly blessed with the people I've met and the relationships I've made and, uh, and so, yeah, thank you for having me on, buddy. And anytime you got my number and you see that we do have electricity down here in Georgia, <laughs> I even got some pretty old nifty Wi-Fi in here. So just let me I know. see man. that. Good work. Chat with <laughs> right on. Thanks. Thank you, buddy.